0: Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 1, Episode 3, The Greeting, Romans 1, 1-7. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Pastor Steve Treichler up here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It is a beautiful spring day today. Actually, it's not spring up here yet. Uh, we don't just have four seasons in Minnesota. We actually have 12. It goes something like this. First, we have winter. And if you're at all familiar with Minnesota, it's bitter cold, snow, ice. It's, it's, it's hard. Then what we have, fall, spring. We always get one. And it, it comes, it sure feels like spring, it's melting, it's gorgeous out, you can smell the smells, but you know that winter's just messing with us because right away after that we get second winter, which is just a big blizzard. It comes in, it snows us all in, we're freezing again, and then we get what's called the spring of deception. And then there it is, it comes and it, you feel like this is awesome, we're, we're now we're getting it. And then we would cut what we call third winter one more big round of snow usually comes in like april early april somewhere in there right after that we get allergy season it is nasty uh it it comes out your sinuses are just going crazy and then we get actual spring it's it's the real deal the trees start to bud you get an occasional rain shower washes away all the winter slime it's beautiful and then we get summer four whole days it is amazing. Mild daytime temps, cool nights, best place on planet Earth. It really is. There really isn't a debate about it. Minnesota in the summer is gorgeous. And then the bugs come out. Leads us then into the next season, which is after a while, it feels like you are six miles from the surface of the sun. It's hot. It's humid. Occasional thunder boom or maybe even a tornado or two come through which will then lean into what we call false fall. All of a sudden, it'll get cooler in the evening is especially, and you start to think, oh, I should get out my my warmer wardrobe and all that. But uh, nope, second summer comes back. We always get another one. You get a few hot days. It feels great. And then we get actual fall, which will lead us then right back into winter. That's Minnesota. If you ever want to come up here, <laughs> it's a great place. I've lived here my whole life, and I, and I love it. Recently, I was reading something from uh, the theologian from the 4th century, probably the most famous. His name, matters how you want to pronounce it, is Augustine or Augustine. I prefer Augustine. And uh, he's talking about, he, was, he did, wasn't raised in a Christian home. Um, and again, Christianity is relatively new at this time. And he starts to get introduced to some of the ideas of Christianity, and he becomes very aware that he's a sinner that he has done many sins in his life. And he says this about that time, quote, I was saying these things and weeping with agonizing anguish in my heart. And then I heard a voice from the household next door, the voice of someone, a little boy or girl, I don't know which, incessantly and insistently chanting. And in in Latin, it would be tole lege, which is pick it up, read it, pick it up, Read it, or some translators say, take up and read it. Take up, read. Immediately, my mood changed, he says, and I started considering with great concentration whether children were accustomed to chanting something like that in any kind of game. I couldn't remember that. I'd heard anything like it anywhere. I got control over the onslaught of my tears and got up, construing the chant as a straightforward divine command to open a book and read the first chapter I found there. I put down a book of the apostles' Paul's letters. There where I got up, I grabbed it and opened it. And I read in silence the passage on which my eyes fell first. And he read from Romans chapter 13. It says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That hit him, and he goes on to say, I didn't want to read further, and there was no need. The instant I finished this sentence, my heart was virtually flooded with a light of relief and certitude, and all the darknesses of my hesitation scattered away. Unquote. That's from St. Augustine's Confessions. What's he saying here? He said the book of Romans was the book that utterly changed him. And why? Because he just picked it up. He read it, picked it up and read it. That's what we're aiming to do in this podcast is to pick up the book of Romans and read it. And admittedly, there's a lot about the book of Romans that uh, volumes and volumes and volumes have been written about. We just want to read this book together. The last two podcasts, if you're new with us, we've looked at who Paul is and who are the people of Rome. This week, we want to do that. Tolle lege. We wanna pick it up. We wanna read it. So here we go. We're gonna do the first seven verses a week. Let me read it. I'm reading out of the New International Version. Uh, I will talk about versions of the Bible next week and uh, why we look at different versions for different things, but we'll talk about that next week. For this week, though, I'm reading from the New International Version. Here we go. Romans 1, 1 to 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand, through his prophets in the holy scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved of God, loved by God and are called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in ancient letters, the greeting was a formal way of introducing yourself as well as a bit of a hint as to what you were going to write about. The greeting in the letter of the Romans is, is fascinating in this way. It's seven verses long, but it's really one very long run on sentence. Now, admittedly, a lot of people get intimidated by the Apostle Paul. Richard Longnecker, in his commentaries, has said, quote, yet despite its status in the church and its importance for Christian thought, life, and proclamation, Romans is probably the most difficult of all the New Testament letters to analyze and interpret. It can hardly be called a simple writing, unquote. In fact, that same theologian I mentioned before, the 4th century uh, Augustine, He started writing a commentary on Romans. He began uh, after he came to faith about uh, 13, 14 years after that. He started to write a commentary on the book of Romans. He quit after just seven verses. That's what we're doing today uh, because he said it was just too large for him and he's going to return to easier tasks. So yes, you are listening to a podcast and you are embarking on something that even Augustine couldn't handle. Booyah, Augustine. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, we're we're gonna have at it. Now, when we look at a greeting, and that's all this is, the first seven verses, that's just the greeting of the ancient letter. Uh, and then remember, it, it it follows a formula. Generally speaking, they go they're from someone. There is a hint to the purpose of what they're gonna be doing, usually, not not always, but oftentimes there is. Then it's to to them, and then it's just a blessing or a way of of saying grace and peace to you. It's a very common thing uh, that was said, especially amongst Christian letters and especially those who became parts of our New Testament. Now, one of the things that I do when we look at the book of Romans in uh, the retreat that I do, and we have a lot of time, is we look at all 13 of the Apostle Paul's letters that we have, and we look at their opening greetings and how did that work. And so I want to look at just three of them with you and see how that follow, that that pattern follows. So first we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. This is the first three verses if you have your Bible with you. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosothenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the the two part, is pretty straightforward. It's very common. Paul just says he's an apostle. And he's also saying there's another brother here. He's also part of this, my team here, Sosthenes. And then he says to the church of God in Corinth, and, and he doesn't stop there. He goes on to describe this. And he says to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. So he's, he's saying something here. And if you go through the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll notice he's getting after the Corinthians for not living as if they were people of God. They're not living like those who've been transformed by the gospel message. There's a, a lot of disconnect. And so he's get right in the very beginning, he's telling about that. In the book of Galatians, it reads like this, the first five verses. Paul, an apostle, set not, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, point is, he could have just said, Paul, an apostle, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you, he doesn't. He goes on and he says, not sent from men, but sent by God, and Christ, that by Christ, the Son and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, so the resurrection of Jesus is there. And then he also goes on to say that he's giving them grace and peace, and from the God, the God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself to uh, for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. So he's gonna say here in the book of Galatians that what Jesus Christ did is of primary importance because they were thinking about jettisoning Jesus alone and going to Jesus plus my behavior and plus my doing these uh, food laws or things of the Old Testament in order to make myself acceptable to God. And he's saying, no, Jesus Christ alone. We see it right there. First Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now here's one of your shorter ones, but there's a few things to really notice. Paul is saying his true heart for Timothy says my true son in the faith. He lays it out there and the, the, book just reeks of a father an endearing father towards a young guy. Now he's not he's, they're not father and son. he just treats him that way. but he also goes on he says the that Jesus Christ is our hope and the book is filled with hope. okay? So given that, what we're going to do here with the first seven verses here is is a couple things. We're, we're going to we're going to do what I think is the most important uh, things we need to do in the book of Romans. And that simply is read it slow. Read it slow. When I was in seminary, I did learn Greek, which is the language of the New Testament. And the best thing that that helped me with is because my Greek is you know adequate at best, is it forces me, if I wanna read it in that language, to read it very slowly. We read things way too quickly and think we can just move on. Read it slow and then look for the connections, The Apostle Paul is amazing. He is following a logical order here, but so often we get lost in him, and it is long. He gives long sentences. You have to read it slow and look for the connections. So we're going to see the from, we're going to see the to, we're going to see that he gives them a blessing, but the most important thing we're looking here for is what's that hint as to what's kind of the book going to be about? So we're gonna go verse by verse. We're not gonna do this every time, but we're gonna do it this time so you kind of get a feel for this. So we're gonna go through it again, verse by verse. Here we go, verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Okay, well, this is the two part, or excuse me, the, the, the from part of the letter. This is from Paul, and he describes himself three ways, a servant, He's an apostle and he's been set apart for the gospel of God. Now that's really, you have to, we have to stop and kind of think about those a little bit. It's an amazing thing to use the word servant. So bond servant would be some of your older translations. It's a very humble way of describing yourself. Like you're the waiter at the, at the, at the, at the dining table of God, so to speak. And, and Paul, I mean, Paul's becoming kind of a big deal by the time he writes Romans, most people have heard of him in the church, and yet he describes himself just as a servant, right? He's going to write 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. I mean, that's, it's kind of impressive, and yet he sees himself that way. He sees himself as an apostle, which means he's sent as a message. We talked uh, the message of Jesus Christ. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, and he's set apart for the gospel of God. That's the third thing he describes himself at. This is all in verse 1. And he's recalling his conversion. If you remember that, what happens in Acts chapter 9 and the control of God over his life. Okay. Now, as we look at the rest of this, of this, uh, uh, these first seven verses, everything from here on is going to be after describing what this gospel of God is until he gets to the, the, Two part, who's the letter two, uh, which we're not going to get to until we get to verse six. So it's really up until from here on, from verses two to five, it's just describing what is this gospel, right? So here we go. Verse two. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. So again, we're just in the greeting, and Paul's laying down some pretty big, pretty big smack here. He's saying, the, This is is the very end of the story of the Old Testament. It is a big, big deal for him to say that. When when the Christians came on the scene, they kind of had to ask the question, are we forming a new religion or is it a completion of the Old Testament storyline? The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is a huge deal to the Apostle Paul. It is gonna be a major thing that's gonna happen in the book of Romans. Verse three. Regarding his son. Okay, so this gospel, but the gospel is just not a story, it's a person who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. Now, it's like, okay, that's interesting. What does that have to do? Now, I know for a lot of you, for especially if you're brand new to the Bible, we're just gonna dive in here, but in understanding the storyline of Scripture, it's very important that if Paul's going to say this thing is a is a uh, there's a continual story going on here, he has to complete the story then, and so uh, this is something that goes to David, King David of the Old Testament, in Second Samuel chapter seven. Um, God is speaking to one of his prophets and he's telling him, this is what I want you to tell David. This is 2 Samuel 7, verses 8 to 16. It says, go ahead and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pastor, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plan." them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. He goes on then to say, if you skip down just a few verses, he says in verse 12, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one, us referring to Solomon, David's son. Uh, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he'll be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever, okay? This is known as uh, the, the the covenant to David or, you know, theologians like to make things a little comment. They call it the the Davidic add an IC on the end of it, the Davidic covenant, the promise to David. And so you see, well, you you read a little more further in the Old Testament, you see these kings, they're all descendants of David and all of a sudden, boom, it's over. No more descendants of David on the throne. In fact, there's no more Israel anymore. So what are they getting at? They're getting at that this was actually not just about ruling and a spirit, uh, a physical geog- geography, but something more. And if you look at the gospels, Matthew and Luke, both of them have their uh, genealogies of Jesus, their physical genealogy of where Jesus came through, and they both go through David. They have to go back through David on a physical way. And that's what he's getting at here. Paul is saying, as to his earthly life or the way he, his his birth, his genealogy, you know, his 23 and (laughs) me goes back to David. Okay. Verse four. And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Okay. So, uh, there's some, there's this is one of those verses, a little bit hard to follow exactly what he's saying. There's a lot of debate actually on this idea, what's going on here, but let's just say what we know. So, the spirit of holiness, most people believe this, talking about the Holy Spirit or God uh, is, is appointing, he's appointing Jesus. The spirit of holiness, the, the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity is appointing the second person of the Trinity something. What are they doing? The, he's appointing him the son of God in power. There's a variety of ways we can look at that. And then he says that happens by his resurrection from the dead. So something happens at the resurrection of Jesus. There's a lot of different interpretations on this. However, I think the one that's most convincing is the one where Jesus at his resurrection is now declared with the name, Son of God in power, okay? It's not he's just declared in po- with power to be the Son of God. And that's possible, but I think it's more that Jesus gets a new name. Let me show you where I find this from. Philippians chapter two, another one of Paul's letters. He writes, that at the name of, and here's his new name, Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, wait a minute, wasn't his old name Jesus? Yes, his old name was Jesus, but now it's the completed, it's the risen, it's the one who's done it all. His name is Jesus, son of God in power by his resurrection. You can see this also in Matthew chapter 28, if you're familiar with what's called the great commission, the very end of the book of Matthew. Jesus says to them, after his resurrection, he comes to them and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So this this idea that at the resurrection of Jesus, he's given this authority that he didn't have before. Yes, he was fully God, fully man before, but now at the completion of his earthly task, he's now been given this. And then Paul makes it clear, this talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse five, now he's gonna lean in on what Jesus has given and what the task is. If you're going back to the beginning of the letter there, he's talking about the gospel and he's still talking, he's linking it to the gospel, but he's also talking about what this apostleship means. And he says, through him, we have received grace, which grace, which is unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You just given beautiful, beautiful grace and apostleship, apostleship is is you're, you're, you have an authority and you have a message. And what you're doing here is you are to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, okay? Now, that particular, oh, and then it's going to say for his namesake. I just want to end the verse there. Okay, that particular phrase, uh, that the obedience that comes from faith is, is very, very debated over what that means. And we're going we're gonna to look at the options, but we're just going to kind of let it hang out there. Let's go back to the beginning. He says to call all the Gentiles. Gentiles is just a way of saying it's ethna in the the Greek, which is where we get ethnic or ethnicities from. There was the Jewish people and then there were the nations. It was everybody else, okay? And the idea, if you read your Old Testament a certain way, is that the Jews were in and everybody else is out. And the great mystery of the gospel is that everybody can equally come to Jesus Christ. You don't have to become a Jew first you don't have to you don't have to convert to Judaism and then to Christianity you can just come to Jesus Christ no matter who you are what your background is this is a radical statement it doesn't i'm guessing that most of the view listening here are probably of gentile background you you know I know a few a few of us come uh, have that uh, ethnic uh, Israel in us and that's great but but most of us don't so it's not as shocking to us as it would have been to the readers uh, at the time of this writing that the gentiles are straight in now Let's go to the second phrase. What is he calling them to? And it says to the obedience that comes from faith. Literally, if you are looking, how literally it says the obedience of faith. Of faith is the is the way. Is a, if you're if you're a grammar nerd, it's the it's the genitive case, and so genitive is really complicated because there can be uh, seven different things that it can mean at least when you're using the genitive case. And so I don't want to I don't want to geek out here too much. If you if you want to geek out. One of the best guys to read is a guy by the name of C.E.B. Cranfield. He wrote a commentary in 1975. One of the best commentaries out there. It's a little old, doesn't deal with modern scholarship now, but it's very good. And listen, you're kind of a big deal if you know like C.S. Lewis or T.S. Eliot, right? Two initials. C.E.B. This guy's got three initials, dude. Come on. Just by that alone, you should uh, pay attention to what this guy has to say. He goes on to say, he thinks there's seven possibilities. I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna go through all those just to save time and and not confuse. It basically comes down to two different major ideas. And those two major ideas are, is he talking about the obedience that comes from or springs from faith? Or is he saying the obedience that is, or, or which is faith? The NIV the one i just read the translation i just read it says to call all the gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith so they would they would say that's what it is uh in other words we're calling that that obedience springs from faith in other words what the important thing here is obedience or we're we're living a life we have behavioral changes right if you look at the amplified bible a translation that's uh it has a whole it's, it's an older version but it's actually interesting he says, we have done these things to promote obedience to the faith and make disciples for his namesake among all the Gentiles. So amongst all the nations. So the question here is, does this mean uh, the obedience of faith? Does it mean, is it about believing the gospel? If I obey the gospel, am I uh, uh, believing it or is it I'm obeying? So therefore I'm changing my behavior. Now we're gonna let we're gonna let the uh, book of Romans kind of help us decide which one that is because interestingly enough, it's only found in the the that phrase is only found twice in the Apostle Paul, in this verse Romans one five, and at the end of this book, Romans sixteen twenty six. It's crazy so it's kind of a bookend, right? So let's let's let that go and let's uh, tole lege and pick pick up and read, uh, you know, take it up, read it. We're just not gonna decide now. We'll we'll let to see, uh, let the book tell us what's happening. Now, and now he's gonna say two. In other words, who is the letter two? And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God, and are called to be his holy people. That's the that's the two, and now here's this blessing part. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first seven verses. We're diving in. Let me give you a summary of what we've just seen so far. Just by taking it, reading it slowly, thinking it through, Paul considers himself a messenger with authority from God, to bring people the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a fulfillment and it's not a departure from the Old Testament scriptures. He especially feels the burden to bring this message to non-Jewish people, to, to Gentiles, for them to be impacted by and invited into becoming followers of Jesus Christ. That's why he's writing to the church in Rome. And that's why... We're excited to ponder this book anew in this podcast. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, and and he's the one and the only one that can fully satisfy the human heart. Join us next week as we look at Paul's heart for the people of Rome, and as he continues to unpack the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, first to the people of Rome, and then to us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.